you can hit help Aunt Mel with the gate. Can you help Aunt Mel with the gate? I know. Come on in. She's got it. Okay. All right. Let's turn together to um, Isaiah 26 and 27. I want to read Isaiah 26 and 27. As we see in many of the other, many of the other prophets, um, and of course we've been in the minor prophets on Wednesday nights. But as we see in in uh, in the writings of the prophets, uh, we see statements of of fact and truth. We see um, statements, many statements of God's wrath and judgment on the wicked and on the on the nations. But we see also um, uh, rejoicing and songs of salvation. And we see that here. Uh, we could have read, you know, 25, 26, and 27 uh, together at least. Um, well, that would actually would have been, yeah, if you look at 24, there's, there's, judge, there's judgment, and then 28, there's judgment. But we have these three chapters in between where Isaiah... Uh, goes, you know, praises God for His deliverance, for His salvation, for His faithfulness to His people. I want to read just 26 and 27. So, in that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation which keeps the truth may enter in. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for for in Yah the Lord is everlasting strength. For he brings down those who dwell on high. The lofty city, he lays it low. He lays it low to the ground. He brings it down to the dust. The foot shall tread it down. The feet of the poor and the steps of the needy. The way of the just is uprightness, O most upright. You weigh the path of the just. Yes, in the ways, excuse me, in the way of your judgments, O Lord, we have waited for you. The desire of our soul is for your name and for the remembrance of you. With my soul I have desired you in the night. Yes, by my spirit within me I will seek you early. For when your judgments are on the earth, the inhabitants of the earth will learn righteousness. Let grace be shown to the wicked, yet he will not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness he will deal unjustly and will not behold the majesty of the Lord. Lord, when your hand is lifted up, They will not see, but they will see and be ashamed for their envy of people. Yes, the fire of your enemies shall devour them. Lord, you will establish peace for us, for you also, for you have also done all our works in us. O Lord our God, masters beside you have had dominion over us, but for you only we make, but by you only we make mention of your name. They are dead. They will not live. They are deceased. They will not rise. Therefore you have punished and destroyed them and made all their memory to perish. 
You have increased the nation, O Lord. You have increased the nation. You are glorified. You have expanded all the borders of the land. Lord, in trouble they have visited you. They poured out a prayer when your chastening was upon them. As a woman with child is in pain and cries out in her pangs, when she draws near the time of her delivery, so have we been in your sight, O Lord. We have been with child. We have been in pain. We have, as it were, brought forth wind. We have not accomplished any deliverance in the earth, nor have the inhabitants of the world fallen. Your dead shall live. Together with my dead body they shall arise. Awake and sing, you who dwell in dust. For your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment, until the indignation is past. For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will also disclose her blood and will no more cover her slain. In that day, the Lord will, in that day, the Lord with his severe sword, great and strong, will punish Leviathan, the the fleeing serpent. Leviathan, that twisted serpent, and he will slay the reptile that is in the sea. In that day, sing to her, a vineyard of red wine, I, the Lord, keep it. I water it every moment, lest any hurt it. I keep it night and day. Fury is not in me. Who would set briars and thorns against me in battle? I would go through them, I would burn them together. Or let him take hold of my strength, that he may make peace with me, and he shall make peace with me. Those who come he shall cause to take root in Jacob. Israel shall blossom and bud, and fill the face of the the world with fruit. Has he struck Israel as he struck those who struck him? Or has he been slain according to the slaughter of those who were slain by him? In measure, by sending it away, you contended with it. He removes it by his rough wind in the day of the east wind. Therefore, by this, the iniquity of Jacob will be removed, or will, excuse me, will be covered. Therefore, by this, the iniquity of Jacob will be covered. And this is all the fruit of taking away his sin. When he makes all the stones of the altar like chalk stones that are beaten to dust, wooden images and incense altars shall not stand. Yet the fortified city will be desolate, the habitation forsaken and left like a wilderness. There the calf will feed and there it will lie down and consume its branches. When its boughs are withered or bows are withered, they will be broken off. The women come and set them on fire for it is a people of no understanding. Therefore he who made them will not have mercy on them and he who formed them will show them no favor. 
And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord will thresh from the channel of the river to the brook of Egypt, and you will be gathered one by one, O you children of Israel. So it shall be in that day. The great trumpet will be blown. They will come who are about to perish in the land of Assyria, and they who are outcasts in the land of Egypt, and shall worship the Lord in the holy mountain at Jerusalem. And so what's pictured is the word runs swiftly to the Gentiles, to the uh, to the Gentiles in Abraham. The, the word of God goes out to the nations and it threshes. The Spirit of God is threshing the nations. And this this has happened in a very explicit way since the day of Jesus Christ, the day of Pentecost. And we are part of that those kernels of wheat, not chaff, but the kernels of wheat, that when the when the whole wheat is threshed, the the good stuff falls to the ground, and and the chaff is blown away, and and this threshing of the gospel is bringing forth the fruit of Christ's work in the nations, so that there is. Um, just as it says in, in Galatians, I'll turn to Galatians. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, and because you are sons by the appointment of the Father, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts. God has sent forth the Spirit. God has sent forth the faith of Jesus Christ into your hearts. The work of the Spirit. God has sent forth the work of the Spirit, which, which is demonstrated by the work, by the, by the confession of faith of Jesus Christ into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ Jesus. And so that's what's being described. So in that day, so it shall be in that day that the great trumpet will be blown. They will come who are about to perish in the land of Assyria and the land of Egypt and they will worship the Lord in the holy mount at Jerusalem. So it's using the language of the day 
in, Israel, in Isaiah's day, but it's speaking about exactly what we have experienced and what we are experiencing in the church and what is happening in the days since Jesus Christ and prior, but even more explicitly the days uh, since Jesus Christ of the good news of the redemption of God for the elect of God, for the chosen of God that goes forth out into the world and is uh, threshing uh, the nations and bringing forth um, the sons of God that have been elected by the Father and redeemed by the Son and are now receiving the blessing of that grace, that favor, the, the, the blessing of that love. Um, and so you can see the pictures. We, we see that in the psalm that we read. You can see the pictures that uh, what a, what be, because of the will of the Father, what is going forth is, for example, the rain that falls to the earth and brings forth blessing. And so that was pictured in the psalm, 65. And that, of course, is picturing... What, what's just described there in Isaiah 27 and Galatians uh, 4. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, in your own experience, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through the ministry of Christ, through the redeeming, reconciling, uh, sanctifying ministry of Christ. <clears throat> so we've, uh, we're in the chapter 3 now in 2 Thessalonians. So I'd like to read the end of chapter 2 and then read right through the, the end of chapter 3 in 2 Thessalonians. And, and I want to just consider the first few verses of 2 Thessalonians 3 and consider it by way of, of really definition of the words um, so that we can understand it better. <clears throat> so we're familiar with coming into verse 13 of of what God says will happen in the latter days in this great falling away that we that is happening all all around us that we're living through and Paul says but but for you believing ones Paul writes to his brethren in verse 13 of chapter 2 of second Thessalonians and he says but we are bound to give thanks to God always for you brethren beloved by the Lord because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of, Je of Lord Jesus Christ therefore brethren stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught whether by word or our epistle now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. And that's where we were last week. Thinking about the grace of God, the true grace of God and how that true God, grace of God has given us everlasting consolation and good hope. 
And of course, that is comforting to us as we live our life and our struggle and our sojourn and our walk of faith and our run of faith, putting on the armor of God on all sides in this life and warring against the flesh and warring against our sin and warring against our selfishness and warring against the opposition to the gospel from without and the many attacks on Christ and on his people that the world and Satan seek to deliver. And he says, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. But we command you, brethren, we're not going to preach on this today, but four times through this section he uses the word command. He's used it now twice so far. I think it's four times. One, two, three, four. Yeah, I counted four times. But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such we command and exhort, through our Lord Jesus Christ, that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. And I think what he's saying there is, yet do not count him as an enemy uh, or initially count him as an enemy. Do not, do not yet count him as an enemy. It's not as if he's saying, like, do not ever count him as an enemy. He's saying, be patient with one another, give instruction to one another, and initially, or, or, or in, in, in the, as you're dealing with someone the first time or so, or the second time, but as you're dealing with someone early on, 
Do not count them as an enemy, enemy, but deal with them as a brother in the Lord. Now, there doesn't mean that it, it may not come to the place where a judgment is made where the person is not a brother or sister in the Lord. It's not saying that. But it's saying be uh, sober-minded about that. And treat one another as brethren. So, yet do not count him as an enemy at the first, you might say, but admonish him as a brother with the expectation that the Lord in his faithfulness will grant that person repentance and they will stop behaving, and yes, I mean behaving, outwardly behaving in their conduct, behaving in a way that is so obviously selfish, which is one example is not working not laboring and eating their own, eating their own, providing for themselves, but living off of the labors of others. That's, that's selfishness. So he's, second time he's admonishing him that this, this occurred very clearly, uh, in 1 Thessalonians. So it was plainly a particular sin that was going on in the Thessalonian church that, uh, might have been somewhat unique in its expression in the Thessalonian church. We don't, um, well, I'm not saying we don't see this anywhere else. I don't want to say that. But this is addressed poignantly both in the first letter and the second letter. And so Paul, in the face of news of specific sin, he addresses it specifically with instruction. In this case, about being lazy or being actually uh Really taking advantage of one another. That's what's, that's what's in view. Now, just as I'm saying this, as an aside, this isn't our topic for today, specifically, but, um, we had the occasion of being at a uh, Sovereign Grace Church many years ago down in Florida. And it was brought up, uh, whether it was when we were there visiting or we heard in the sermon later, but what was said was something that was falsely false humility. Uh, what was said was uh, by the pastor was that uh, when people came to him, when when people of the church came to him, and they would say they have, there would be at issue specific sins, their theirs or others, that the pastor would not. They would not turn to any passages of Scripture and seek to address that particular topic, that particular uh, expression of selfishness, whether it be fornication or whether it be laziness and self-serving or whether it be stealing or whether it be lying or whatever it might be. And um, he said he would just he wouldn't do that because that would be bringing people the law. And so he couldn't do that. And so he would just basically, not basically, he said he would instruct them to look to Christ. Now, there's nothing wrong with looking to Christ. I don't mean to uh, be derogatory about looking to Christ, truly looking to Christ, 
We walk looking to Christ. We are, that's what it means to walk in the Spirit. You shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It means walk thinking of and meditating upon, living your life in constant, not constant moment by moment, but in a regular understanding of everything of your experience in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, in light of the truth of God. But he would not address it. Now, not address the specific sins. Well, if that practice was what the apostles would have practiced, then there wouldn't be any of the instructions of the apostles to the churches in the scriptures of specific sins that are occurring among the among the assembly. You wouldn't have chapter 3 of 2 Thessalonians because Paul wouldn't be addressing the particular uh, selfishness of someone who just wants to uh, freeload off of others. Right? He, he wouldn't address it. He would just say, look to Christ. So there wouldn't be any instruction of, of, uh, of godly conduct in any of the, uh, actually in any of the scriptures. I mean, it, it was so, it was such a farce that you, you, I had to kind of step back and think, well, what motivates that? And it's a false understanding of what it means, of, of this idea of, of, of bringing the law. It's a false understanding. The very fact, frankly, that this pastor thought that the pastor could bring the law the way that the Bible means bringing the law, which, which the Bible means um, uh, bringing an interest in self-righteous justification, that, that a, a sovereign grace, pa- a, a true pastor could bring that to his congregation just demonstrated this person did not actually know what it meant, what the whole thing meant. And, uh, and it's just, it's just laughable. Uh, and, and in the, in the truest sense, it's, it's a mockery of the scriptures to say that I'm not going to address specific sins among the church, even my own, for example. Um, I'm not going to address that with specific instruction and specific admonition and specific um, rebuke. Because the Bible is thorough. The, the letters to the churches are thoroughly that way. And certainly the Old Testament is thoroughly that way. And the New Testament is thoroughly that way. So I just may want to make that as an aside. I guess we'll bring that up later on. But let's just... Um, really, the focus today is the first few verses. And what I want to do is just in very briefly um, talk about the meaning of these words. Because we can read them and we sort of can, can kind of gloss over them or kind of run through them quickly and maybe not capture the full meaning. meaning. One of the great benefits of, of um, looking up the meaning of words is they every time we do that they only enhance they only magnify the truth of God and the truth of Christ and the gospel of God. They do not uh, contradict when we look up the meaning of words. One of the one of the um, one of the aspects of the end times that Jesus Christ speaks about that the Bible speaks about is that uh, wicked men will destroy the meaning of words. For example. Wicked men will destroy the meaning of words. For example, last week we talked about grace. 
and the meaning of and the meaning of grace and what it doesn't mean and today as in really probably all time to some degree that word is completely adulterated it's just destroyed the meaning of of that word grace is destroyed in false religion and so I'm using that as an example and so let's let's walk through the first two verses maybe three and let me give you some definitions as we go and elaborate on what these words mean so finally brethren or to conclude brethren my conclusive remarks here brethren and by the way you see in verse 17 um, the salutation of Paul with my own hand which is a sign in every epistle so I write you see that in verse 17 that verse right there that part the salutation of Paul with my own hand which is a sign in every epistle so I write the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all amen those two verses 17 and 18 um, they were they were written in the original. They would have been, and I don't, we don't know, I don't have the original, but they would have been much larger than the rest of the letter. The letters would have been much bigger. Much like he, just like he says in the end of Galatians. And the reason is, is Paul's eyesight was very, very bad. And he was concerned that they knew that the letters were from him. That they were authentic. That they were from Paul. Because, and why would he be concerned about that? Why would he be concerned that the letters that the Thessalonians in this case received, that they knew that those letters were from him? And the answer to that is because there were imposters. There were people who presented themselves as apostles or maybe even said they were of Paul. There was very devious things going on, the working of Satan, and they would write letters and they would not, they, they would, they would, uh, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? They would, well, they, they weren't really from Paul. He says that earlier. He says, he says, don't, don't be alarmed if by word or by epistle. Remember, he said that a couple times before in this letter and in the, and in the letter before. He says, uh, uh, don't be, don't be shaken either by word or by epistle as if from us. I think that's the beginning of chapter two. Yeah, do not be shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. So there were clearly either the possibility or the actual reality that letters were being sent and written as if they were Paul. Now, and so he ends the, this letter by the salutation of Paul with my own hand, he's writing it himself, which is a sign in every epistle. So I write, well, what's the sign? Well, the, 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 see with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand, he, sends at the end of, he says at the end of Galatians. And so it, it validates the authenticity of his letter. Now, why did I say that? Well, I say that because when he says, finally, brethren, pray for us, He's saying, in conclusion to this letter, which is actually from me, from your brother Paul, pray for us that this word of the Lord, this truth, and I'm going to start defining these words, this truth, this message of the Christ of God, 
this truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, this word of the Lord, and that word word is actually capitalized in the uh, literal version, that Jesus, you could say that Jesus Christ himself, in his word, okay, so pray for us that the message of the gospel, the word of the Lord, the truth of God, the message of, of the Christ of God, may run swiftly, may spread rapidly, is the idea. May run its course, is the idea. May go forth in earnest. May, may, uh, to, to, to the end, it's the, to the point that it would, it would go forth and accomplish its end. It may, that the word of God, that the truth of Christ, that the, uh, message of the gospel would spread rapidly, would run swiftly, and be glorified, and we just, usually we don't think of the word, you know, the word of God would be glorified. What does that mean? The word of God would spread rapidly, would run swiftly, and be glorified. Well, here's what that means. First of all, the word of God, the truth, the gospel of God, is inseparable from the Christ of God. By the Spirit, the Christ is made known to the elect in and through the gospel, the truth of Christ. And so, he is glorified, Christ himself is glorified in his truth and in the accomplishment for which, for, and the going forth for which it is sent, which is both, both salvation, both regeneration and hardening. It's both salvation and condemnation. It's sent forth, it never returns void. It's sent forth for exactly the purpose it's sent. It's, it doesn't, it doesn't accomplish nothing. It accomplishes exactly the purpose for which it was sent. So that's part of what it means to be glorified. May the word of the Lord spread rapidly and be glorified. This means be honored, be magnified in all of its particulars. May the word of the Lord, may Christ himself be praised be exalted in dignity. So may the truth of Christ spread rapidly and may Christ be magnified. May Christ be exalted. May Christ be uh, uh, demonstrated, you could say, or proclaimed, that's probably a better word, proclaimed in all of his preeminence over all creation. May, May the word be glorified. May he be glorified. It also means, may the word, may he, the Christ of God, spread rapidly and celebrated with praise, worship, and adoration. That's also in the word glorified. May the Christ of God be celebrated with praise, worship, and adoration. 
which of course is the gathering in of all of the elect in all the nations. He is celebrated, he is praised, he is worshipped, he is, he is adored in our hearts, first and foremost, through the sprinkling of our hearts, through the regeneration of our hearts, through the creation of new, crea- new creations, new creatures in Christ Jesus, our Lord, by the Holy Spirit. So this Christ, this word of Lord that spreads rapidly is glorified and part of the meaning of glorified is not only celebrated, praised, magnified, honored and exalted in dignity but also rendered, this is very interesting, this is part of the definition, rendered conspicuous. Isn't that interesting? Do you know what conspicuous means? I ask that rhetorically, right? When something is conspicuous, it's brought into view. It, you know, the, the, one of our members mentioned yesterday that uh, about a light. A light is not put on a hill to be to be covered and not seen. But a, a light is put, you know, when you, when you build a lighthouse, for example, right? A lighthouse is built on a rocky shore to make that rocky shore conspicuous. You wouldn't see it in the darkness of night, that rocky shore. Now, the lighthouse isn't the rocky shore, but you get the point. You know, we were talking about lighthouses yesterday with Leah, so it's, it's on my mind. But, you know, there's a rocky shore there, and to make that rocky shore, that danger, conspicuous to the to the uh, boats and to the ships that are out in sea and the danger of the of the rocks, well, they would build a lighthouse there and that lighthouse would would make the rocky shore. They couldn't see the rocky shore, but they could see the danger conspicuously. It reveals it. And so the meaning, that, mean, that, that, that meaning of rendering obvious, rendering... Uh, uh, well, rendering obvious, rendering open to see, is included in the in the idea of being glorified. I found that to be very, very helpful, and, and we can think of many other passages of where we could uh, uh, think about that in terms of uh, a city on a hill, or terms ter- in terms of uh, we are we are the uh, the light of the you are the salt of the earth, the light of the earth, and so forth and so on. So, the truth of the message, the Christ of God, Jesus Christ himself, spreads rapidly and is celebrated, exalted, praised, magnified, honored, rendered conspicuous, exalted in dignity. You see this at the, uh, at the day of Pentecost, right? Where the, the Spirit comes with the sound of a rushing wind, almost like a, like a, like a tornado. You get the idea of a, a wind that was heard throughout the city. And the message of the gospel was rendered conspicuous among all the people that were there because they heard the message of the truth in their own language. So in their understanding, it was rendered conspicuous. It was glorified. It was exalted. All right. So the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you, you the believing ones, just as it is with you the believing ones, 
and that we may be delivered, that we may be rescued, that word delivered means rescued, and that we, he's talking specifically about himself as an apostle, as one who bears the message, and he's and is inclusive of all those who bear the message in a conspicuous public manner, and that we may be rescued from unreasonable and wicked men. Now, what do those words mean? Unreasonable, that we may be rescued, delivered from unreasonable means perverse, out of place, improper. Interesting. Those were the definitions. Perverse, out of place, improper. Now, if something is out of place, that means there's a place where it is, and it's there, but it actually shouldn't be there. It's out of place. It's not appropriate. It's unreasonable. It's not appropriate. It's improper. So that we might be rescued from out of place, improper, and wicked has the significance of harmful and corrupt, both. Corrupt and harmful. So again, it's it's significant because it implies a circumstance where a circumstance that isn't harmful, but the the person who's uh, uh, unreasonable is introducing something that is harmful to a circumstance that's not harmful. And so all this adds to the point that what he's talking about here, about being delivered from out-of-place, improper, perverse, and harmful and corrupt men, for not have all have the faith, he's talking about um, those who are in and among the faithful of God who are actually themselves false teachers and perverse and wicked men. Because, as we said before, he wouldn't be saying this, generally speaking, meaning he wouldn't be saying this about his experience generally in the world, because, of course, the world is... Uh, I, I mean, of course the world is wicked and perverse. Now, it doesn't exclude the world outside the... Um, close proximity to the church doesn't exclude the world because we are delivered, we are rescued from unreasonable and wicked men. So it doesn't exclude them, but he has particularly in view those who would twist the word of God in and among the people and use it for their own gain. For not all, and the, and the reason or the, uh, the, you could say the proof of that is when he says, for not all have the faith. And actually, in the original, it actually says the faith, which is important. For not all have the faith. And so, obviously, he wouldn't be talking about a circumstance where it's just generally speaking of the world, because that, that would be a, a what I would call like a, a superfluous statement, like a, an unneeded statement. Why would he say of the world, for not all have the faith? The world generally. Of course he wouldn't say that about the world generally. Of course they don't have faith in the world generally. They don't even confess the gospel. They don't have any proximity to the gospel. 
And so he's really praying that the Lord would protect him and the church from those who would be uh, wolves dressed in sheep's clothing. For not all have the faith. Not all have the faith of Jesus Christ. And then he says, but the Lord is faithful. But the Lord is faithful. But the Lord is faithful to establish his people and guard them from the evil one who has deceived, who is working in deception in and through these wolves that come dressed in sheep's clothing. And that's the emphasis. That's the emphasis. Remember, think of the whole rest of the book. That has been his emphasis. And so he's confident in them, in the Lord, that they will have no other mind. He's confident in them, in the Lord, that they will remain guarded. That they will escape the snare of the devil. That they will be established and further established. That the trials that God brings to the church by the false shepherds and by the imposters and by the corruptors and by the harmful and wicked men who are perverse and out of place, that these will come to the church for the purpose of strengthening the body of Christ. Did you hear what I said? Do you hear what the Word of God says? See, Paul and it says in another place, you can do nothing against the truth. You go, well, wait a minute. Don't people do things against the truth all the time? Yes, they do. Look at what we just did, read in Bible study. There was opposition all over the place, right? What he's saying is that opposition only serves the purposes of the strengthening of the people of God. That no effort against the faithfulness of God will be victorious will accomplish it, the destruction of the faithfulness of God. So God is what God is doing through the opposition and through although the warnings are there and although the the uh, instruction is there, what God is doing through the opposition is he is strengthening and establishing the church and guarding her in his faithfulness. It's being demonstrated Increasingly, it's being glorified. He is being glorified, magnified, rendered conspicuous that God is faithful as he protects his people 
and guards them from the evil one. That's why he says, but the Lord is faithful. The Lord is trustworthy. Who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you. We have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. And so, all of the interest and efforts of the evil one cannot thwart the purposes of God. Ultimately, all those interests and efforts of the evil one are working to magnify, to render conspicuous, to honor and praise God for His faithfulness in preserving His people through such great deception. But the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. So, the encouragement is we do have everlasting consolation and good hope by grace no matter what we face. No matter what we face. Let's pray. Lord God, you are glorious in all that you do. And you keep your people. Through, as we walk through this wicked generation. And you preserve us by your word. The gospel of Jesus Christ. By Jesus Christ himself. And his spirit. That dwells in us. And is a guarantee of our inheritance. We know that you love us and you will not remove your spirit from us. For the spirit honors the work of the Son which has accomplished our redemption. And therefore our redemption cannot be removed from us according to your will. Guard and protect your people. And may the word of God run swiftly and be glorified in them and through them by your power. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.